When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're welcoming waterwaystravel.com into our network of partners, trusted resources, and fellow friends. Waterways is a boutique surf travel agency. They are the experts in surf travel. Founded in 1994, Sean Murphy has personally pioneered many of the surf destinations that you've fantasized about for the past 25 years. And he's also fostered and nurtured relationships, individual relationships with humans in those locations, with resort owners, boat captains. He's helped develop tourism infrastructure, all in an effort of ensuring that you and I can get good waves, refuel on good food, comfy accommodation, have internet access without a hitch. Among their travel destinations, Bali, Mentawise, Fiji, Central and South America, the Marshall Islands, Maldives, Mexico. Waterways has been an integral part of the surf industry, utilized by pros and brands for decades, and they are your trusted resource, especially with the travel complications that COVID presents. The Waterways team is up to the minute with all of their locations on the official protocols and what you should expect. So travel intelligently and stress-free with waterwaystravel.com. Interviews with surfboard shapers have kind of become our bread and butter here. It wasn't part of the original plan, but I think that shapers have kind of emerged as some of the more interesting people in the surf space to have a chat with. And as I've thought about it over the years, I attribute it to a couple of different things. Firstly, the craft of board building itself is an equal blend of math or science along with art. So kind of a blend of left and right brain. It's constrained by hydrodynamic principles, but it's also open to interpretation and self-expression. Also, surfboard shapers live in a unique space to view surf history and culture. Embedded in their job is to have respect and reverence for surf history because it really does inform their work. And then of course, they've often directly worked with iconic shapers of the past. They may currently directly work with influential professional surfers, but paradoxically, board building doesn't pay very well. So shapers have a position of esteem and notoriety in the community, but without the fat payday that might come with esteem in any other industry. And what comes from that is character and a continual refocusing on the craft itself 
building the next surfboard, refining the process. And by the way, the work is hard. So you have this hard work ethic combined with respect within the community, respect for predecessors, all filtered through a unique artist engineer mindset really does create for interesting characters. And I use all of this, of course, to set up today's guest, Wayne Rich, who embodies all of that. This conversation with Wayne was recorded at his home in Central California in November of 2016, just one week after he was inducted into the International Surfboard Builder Hall of Fame. He is a two-time Icons of Foam winner. He's a very accomplished surfer. He's colorful, he's charming. He has strong ties to every layer of the surf world. He builds boards by hand, so his production remains fairly low, but iconic surfers and shapers alike all have and cherish their Wayne Rich surfboards. The boards and everything that we discuss herein are available to see on surfsplendorpodcast.com, so come check them out. And uh, here we go, deep into the weeds of some dense and heady topics, into places only Wayne Rich can take us. So without further ado, my name is David Scales, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with surfboard shaper Wayne Rich. Wayne Rich was introduced to the ocean by his mother. I asked him about her and the influence she had on his formative surf experiences. You know what's nice? I just got this really warm feeling that went through my body. Really? That's really cool. That lets me know she's here. I, I distinctly remember being three, about three years old approximately, right in there. And in being at the beach, we... Uh, I lived on 1st Street in Hermosa Beach until I was two, and then 7th Street in Hermosa Beach after that. And when, be, but at, at about three, being somewhere down in, in that area at the beach, being, being carried into the water, and, and that fear of the waves and the noise, and the, it was a lot. And having her explain to me not to be afraid like it's okay it's okay it's fun she made it seem fun and that was really really it it calmed me down where i i trusted her kind of as a baby Mm. the kid and uh i remember her like teaching me (gasps) you know take a breath and go under and she took me through a short a little short pound peeler as we as she walked me out she taught me right then how to hold my breath and go under the lip and through the back of the wave Mm. so actually I became very comfortable that that was fun although I still had it was it was still an exhilarating scary experience but but I trusted her so then it was okay so I really I feel really thankful for that because it was almost like a baptism of of not to be afraid sure to be in the ocean <laughs> that's interesting that you actually have such a distinct memory from such a young age <clears throat> made pretty big impact i think yeah <laughs> i suppose so it was it that, was pretty awesome i mean when you think about it 
we come from water. I mean, we're in the womb right. for nine months, so you're just returning. Yeah, and, and just um, as little babies or kids like that, little little young kids, we're so we we just reach for mama and we trust, and and then it it gave me that that feeling. But I remember the feeling. I remember it fully. I remember going under and the feeling of the water going over the in kind of like going over the top of us and coming out the back and mm-hmm. being able to then be able to breathe again. Hmm. So it was like, that's a part of how a wave works. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, did your mom surf? <clears throat> she actually was a surf mat rider. Oh, she was? Yeah. We, we rode the air mattresses as kids. Hmm. And... Uh, the really, you know, not super inflated ones. Of course, as as kids, uh, as we got a little older, we wanted those really good ones. You could rent up at 16th Street. You could rent these really heavily aired up ones with a compressor, you know, that mm-hmm. and, and you could stand up on those and surf them. So we were standing up and surfing on those. Like, mm-hmm. I was doing that when I was five years old. I was already standing up in the soup, riding those and standing up and they they do three sixties and stuff. You know, we were doing three sixties on them. Wow! As little kids, you'd put your drag your hand and it just spin and you'd go right up on the sand and then it would catch and you'd go flying off and land all awkward. And, you Have know. you ridden one of those in recent years? <clears throat> no, they've made a bit of a resurgence. You know? Oh yeah, George. I mean, gosh, if you ever watch George ride one, yeah. and then and those guys, they I've got friends who who are who are into it. It's really pretty cool to watch and totally i never fully understood how to ride one when i was a kid okay. we were we were always thinking if you air it up more it would be better you could use it to drive off the bottom and try to angle with it but te- but actually it's the other way around mm. you know but we couldn't wait i'll tell you what you learn on something like that and you you look at people like i was looking around at these guys on these boards i'm going hey i don't i don't want this i want to be one of those guys sure Before Wayne was trusted to surf in the ocean, he had to prove his competence as a lifeguard. In a fortuitous turn of events, this actually planted the seed for his future career as a board builder. Rudy Bendixson was my swimming instructor. And the, uh, the, the swim gym was a famous old swimming pool place that was owned by a very famous uh, lifeguard, Paul Matthies, and his wife, nicest people in the world. It was right on Pier Avenue, um, across the street from where Eddie Talbot's shop, BT Surf, is. You know, it's up a little ways now. It's all a bunch of condos and stuff, but everyone went there. And it was, uh, in those days, if you were going to surf or be an accomplished surfer, you... A lot of the people who rode big waves, they were all lifeguards. Everyone was a lifeguard. So my mom, so I was going to be, if I was going to be allowed to surf, I had to become a junior guard and I had to become capable of surviving the ocean. And that I had to prove that before I could have my own first custom surfboard. Like now I could go with them. I had a little belly board and things and, and uh, stuff like that. but So, junior guards, five years from the time I was 10 till I was 15. So. Okay. Let's paint some of the context for the listener. 
I mean, you grew up, obviously, Hermosa Beach. It's the South Bay. That was a pretty important time in surf culture. You were in the midst of um, a lot of board builders, mm. um, Bing, Rick, Hap Jacobs, Dewey Weber. Can you kind of tell me about that experience and what that was like growing up there? Well, you know, like, it was a godsend to grow up three blocks away from the little the little valley called Pollard Valley, okay? And that was where everything was. It ran between, uh, you know, 6th and 8th Street there, and and it was it was like a, a couple of giant city blocks hooked together, and it was the only main industrial area in Hermosa Beach. Okay. Very small town. It's one of the smallest towns in all of California. Is it? Oh yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, it's it's only like a mile deep by a couple of miles max long. You know, it's it's tiny. Mm-hmm. And we were in you know the lower end of it was kind of like it was a little tough, rough area. Sure. Back then, it was totally different than now, and uh, but a cool beach town. And South Bay is. Still, I feel really proud to have been allowed to be around those people. Mm-hmm. And and uh, um, as far as like, yeah, growing up there, you don't know any better. You're just a kid. My sister, Zona, she used to go up to 22nd Street because that was where everything was happening in the water. Okay, everybody hung out on the beach. You could actually drink beer on the beach back then. Right. And they had parties and all of the great local surfers the south bay crew um were up there just hot dogging and and creating a lot of the modern dance that we see that happens on on longboards you know who were the surfers in the area at the time that were doing that well there were uh there was uh ricky hatch was one of the really hot guys there was uh um John Baker, Henry Ford, Dewey was up there, uh, Skipper Fats Harwood. Um, there was uh, just, yeah, I just got the chills again, just a <laughs> nice feeling. These are people who've been really influential in my life. And, you know, Dewey was a really charismatic, radical character, okay? Knew him well, shaped for him for five years. Mm-hmm. And... um. He knew more about surfboard design than the world will ever be able to give him credit for. Really? Yeah. As a surfer, he was a very he was a very intellectual guy, mm. and uh, he's got a you know as a radical partier, which everybody was back then. He just took everything to the extreme, okay. and that's the way he was. He was an insane wrestler. He was an incredible surfer, and had a great vision and an eye for artistical things as well yeah he was also that yo-yo champ thing but really cool the duncan yo-yo champ i mean that's skill you know oh yeah totally unbelievable stuff i remember he had his yo-yos one time he showed them to me these were not normal yo-yos okay these were made on a lathe custom okay no these were like the most trick yo-yos i've ever seen really? <laughs> some gnarly machinist made them all and uh they were like like uh Swiss watch type quality, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. But um, now there were, uh, you know, Daryl Dickey. There was the double deuce danglers up there. Mm. And uh, 
just as a little kid to be dragged up there by my sister and and be able to catch the end of that era before it transitioned into the shorter stuff was a was I'm just a really happy I was allowed to go up and and just see it as a as a as you know a eight nine ten year old kid right then Wayne kicked his way around the beach and through his swim instructor Rudy Bendixson connected with her husband and the surfboard building community Wayne was completely unaware of it at the time but aside from what Hobie was doing 40 miles to the south he was smack in the center of the surfboard building universe being surfboards really classy guy Ben Copeland nice man good people they had a they had a a crew they were really strong and everybody had their strengths Greg Knoll had his and then you know and then as it got into the early 70s like from late 60s into the early 70s Bing was still rolling pretty good so they rolled into the tran- they rolled in through transitional into the shortboard and the first shortboards real well with a lot of a lot of power they were doing pretty good and there was a lot of a lot of energy around that shop a lot of great people you had Danny Bendixson doing he was one of the him Mike Eaton yep Chris and Steve Schlickenmeyer Chrissy's brother was also one of the great shapers there uh, uh, Dick Dick Mobley used to call him the Fox. Yeah, he used to. Why was it tougher than nails? Right. Okay. Yeah, he would. Uh, he'd be in a situation, and 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 he'd 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 be able to. Guys would be picking on him, whatever, and he'd get them to pick on him, and then he'd just beat the hell out of them. Really? Yeah, he was tougher than. Yeah, so they called him the Fox. But uh, but. <clears throat> there was uh, there was just a great bunch of people up there. Mike Collins, he he was. I remember uh, as a kid, uh, one of the coolest things going in there. I I've always tell the story. I always carried a dust mask with me because that way I could go in and clean up if if they, you know, if Bing came in there and he, what are you doing in here? You know, it was like. Uh-huh. I'm cleaning up for Bendixson. Okay, I don't see him around, but you know, yeah. Eaton's over there. You know, yeah. So, what was your introduction to board building then? Dan Bendixson. And how did uh, you get into it? Well, I Rudy was my swimming instructor, and then I was still at the swim. And then you know, my mother was friends with Rudy, and and my sister used to babysit for Rudy and Dan. Okay, Christy, their daughter, and so it was. It was like. It's a small town. I only lived about five blocks away from them. They lived on 10th Street. So I mowed their yard and stuff. And so I got this job for two bucks, two bucks to mow the yard. I think I mowed it. I don't think it was, it might've been once every two weeks. I mowed the yard, I got two bucks each time I was making big dough. Nice. And I'd walk around the garage and look around, and Danny wasn't there. A lot of times he was off working, and and I'd see all these boards, and it just tripping out, yeah. and the smell of the wax and all that stuff. You see all that, all that cool stuff like that. You know the wax and the looking around, and you just walk through. It's like a museum of all this stuff you 
And I'm like, I want to be able to... I didn't think then I wanted to shape surfboards. Or I just wanted to be a surfer. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to become a surfer somehow. And I was like, that was dead set. And then ended up lucky enough to, you know, get to do that. So you started working in the Bing factory, essentially? No, I never worked in there. I'd just go down and see Dan shape. Because so, okay. I asked him... You know, I said, wow, you know, you make these. I, yeah, because come on down. He was so nice to yeah. take the time to, for a kid like he did for me. Mm. It was so nice of him. You know, he took me on my very first out-of-town surfing trip in a VW, in their VW Squareback to uh, San Onofre. We drove down. At the time, he was, uh, you know... Let's see. I can't remember exactly when, but um, we rolled. We rolled down. We checked the surf at Cotton's Point. They were good friends with the Arness family. James Arness, okay, Gunsmoke, okay, and Rolf, his yeah. kid. So, um, we pulled in at Cotton's Point to check the surf. That's my first time checking Cotton's Point, and it was just. It was just so bitching to come down this private road and get out and walk up and look at the surf with all these guys and i'm this little kid just tagging along mm -hmm. what a what a wonderful thing to get to do yeah i'm really lucky yeah so then we went down surf san onofre and it was just i had a time of my life and it was it was great yeah and it was like and not long after that within within a couple of years He'd shape me a my first custom board, and, but I'd go down there and watch him shape, and it was it, so that was it. And walk, just walking through that Bing factory, and and observing all these these really cool things that were going on, it was like it was pretty overwhelming. Now I didn't think I'm going to be doing that yet because yeah. it was way too like those the planer I couldn't even pick up a Rockwell hardly. Really? At that time. I mean, they Because you were so young? And I was little. Yeah. And and those tools were real big. Sure. <laughs> they, were, they were huge. And, you know, somebody turns on a router and, and all that stuff flying. And it just it just was very technical. Then the, the resin and the smell of the resin and the dust and the... It, it just was... And the people didn't make anything back then right. people were in a hurry to do they had to get it done and and there was stuff going on you had to just hit the deck mm -hmm. it wasn't like and i've talked about this before with people back in the day the, every surfboard building is a closed door society right no one was allowed in that door you had to have a reason to be there you don't just come walking in anywhere not getting your ass beat yeah you're just no. So then there's competition between all the shops, the of procedures course. of how they do things. And back then it was way different than now. So um, Now it, people are posting it on it Instagram. Big, yeah, it was yeah. a big mystery, which I think I missed that because then there was the inner circle people that were on the inside. Then there was the people who were partway there who built their own boards in between. And then there was the people who didn't know anything and they had to go to a shop to get a board. It was like there was, it was really, really different. And there were, but there was a lot less people surfing then too. It mm -hmm. was, we were not respected, let me tell you. As surfers. Hell no. Yeah. We were heavily uh, long hair, you know, I got hassled all the time. Yeah.
this important surfboard manufacturing epicenter of the late 60s and early 70s, Hermosa Beach, is part of the South Bay. That's the South Bay of Los Angeles, which is, of course, a sprawling metropolis. This important part of surf history and experience was just a little fringe community on the coast of L.A. Wayne was a mere 20 miles from Hollywood, from Beverly Hills, 13 miles from Venice Beach, where the Dogtown surf-slash-skate scene would take place. So there was this real mix of intensely passionate subcultures, which for the most part, were countercultures to the mainstream of what was happening in Los Angeles and elsewhere in the country. There was tough times back then we were having. There was all kind of problems and civil unrest. And mm. We had lots of riots not, you know, around that time and a little later. And then there was, there was like, you know, it, it, it was... It, what was really cool was um, the Hell's Angels used to come down a lot and hang out at either you know one of the Hennessy's Pier 52 along there. They'd they'd set up their bikes all along you know Pier Avenue right from the pier and just in a row. Never hassled anybody. They were really cool. Hmm. Actually, as a little kid, I dug those guys and they were really nice to me. I thought it was bitching. Well, again, you mentioned innocence. You probably had no idea. I knew who they were. You did? Oh, everyone knows who they are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When they roll in, the thunder, the sound, and the whole, you're just like, whoa. Totally. They own the place, right? That's it. But really never caused any trouble. Hmm. You know, oh, there was, you know, there was occasional knifing or something. It wasn't like the shootouts we have now. Sure. Or, you know, chains and pipes, stuff like that. But um, it was just a, there was a a diverse crew. There was, I really enjoyed growing up around the lowrider culture. A bunch of my friends were in that because I grew up close, up closer to the border of North Redondo. My mother's best friend was a wonderful Carmen Sales, this Mexican lady, was just so cool. She was like my auntie, hmm. and I I grew up with with her kids, and and they were great, man. You know, it was so I had the car culture going early there with those guys, and then there was a lot of hot rod stuff around too. Talking about a lot of things that have created the culture, the California, the SoCal and NorCal culture, the whole California really, but it's just um, it was, was, I think there was a lot of industry after the war Yeah. okay, it was like my parents they were both, they met in flight test at North American North American built a lot of the great early, you know, all the airplanes that helped you know, keep us free Mm -hmm. it's uh so there was all this technology and these materials and things like that that were developed for all that, which have really helped in, in the surfboard world. Totally. Bob Simmons was the guy who really took that to its height and, and really showed everybody, hey, check this stuff out, Yeah. right? Fiberglass. Yep. Uh-huh. Pretty cool stuff. But the whole, yeah, realizing it, uh, the only thing we had to read when I was a kid was Doc Ball's book. Yep. Okay. Um, and it was really great. It was like, wow, okay, there's this, there's this, you know, surfing and paddling. It was kind of all connected. Mm. 
and being a water person, it was right. kind of like that. But then it was starting to show that it was going to become something more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yes, you were that, in that, the midst of it. That tells you how how old I am. It's funny because. I can't imagine what it would have been like now to grow up and seeing people doing airs and know that's possible. We used to really, I mean, uh, wonder about that back in the in the day. Could you actually leave the wave and and then think about doing an aerial 360? Was like that would be the ultimate. Could it really be possible? That'd be like flying to the moon yeah. in a Cessna 150 to right. us, right? Right. We're just like that's, you know, you can't possibly do that on a heavy board with a this and a that but things have changed the biggest limitation in your guys imagination then was really just board design you know that was what was encumbering yeah doing that aerial probably. yeah exactly well and and people that that were were not willing to settle for what was happening and would would just go experiment mm-hmm. and and that that was i think um, what drives the fascination with the whole thing is is the people that like the modern day Daniel Thompson. Yep. He's my hero. Really? Because he doesn't let anything stop his mind from I really dig that guy. Hmm. He he's very he's real too. He's real, he's he's a good dude. Have you gotten to know him at all? Yeah, yeah. Spent really, time with him. Really dig him, man. It's a good surfer. Oh, he's just—it's uh, a whole package. Yeah, him. yeah. He's—he's he's got the mind. He's got the—he's—he's he's got the hands-on, and he's—and he's able to p- apply it, and then he can go out and and actually test it, yeah. which is the the essence of really being a true surfer shaper, which is what I've always wanted to try to become when I grow up. <laughs> that, that's what I've always wanted to try to become, and. Uh, as far as like the passion of it all is so <laughs> it's it's so amazing it's such a privilege it's so challenging and so humbling and so um it's it it has such highs and such lows of blow your friggin mind mm-hmm. okay uh it 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 it's made me at times pretty neurotically messed up and and chasing the highs and lows yeah it's really but you know all i can say to anybody who thinks or who who aspires to mess around with it is when you find something that isn't working that's your opportunity to really dig deep and kick the ego to the side and go okay i need to find out why and those are the things that once you can get get dig into why that didn't do what you thought and you can and this is sort of a little higher level thinking but you know when you're when you're applying it and you get an immediate response you don't like then you if you can find out what did that and then it's going to take you know it's time and it's money it's money to make another board or make a change or do this or that and you got to do all that stuff in a in a business that really well it's you're you're just paying forward for really for me it's been for my friends you talked about wanting to be the surfer shaper That's, and about how daniel's done that successfully yeah um how there are there are surfboard shapers who actually don't surf any longer 
you right. know, and I've always been conflicted about that a little bit internally. And right. I, I guess they understand design theory well enough and they surfed well enough back in the day and they work closely enough with enough surfers, but, and they're able to do it successfully. But how important is your surf experience to your shaping experience? I can answer that perfectly because anybody who's, I think, I think that uh, people that anyone who's surfed enough to have a baseline, they have enough to, if if they're really into what they're doing, that they can shape an incredible surfboard, and then what they can do is they can have people who are close to them give them the feedback right so it's 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 it i mean uh, they just it's like another tool yeah and so they're able to do just fine and there's no problem with that at all um even you know i don't <clears throat> so i really i think it's in in some regards there's 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 one side of that that's all the same there's a different side of it when um, in specialized things, very specialized things, where um, like in little 70s type barrel riding boards or something like that, where you're just, you're, you're in the water all the time, you, you go out and you surf, or and you get out of the water after a good swell, and you go home that night and you shape a board and you glass it all night. That was kind of, and then you go back the next morning. The swell's still going, and you're riding it. You're comparing. You're you're able to, you're you're able to dial in certain little little things that that are key elements to to maybe what you're looking for in the feel of a board, which maybe not everybody wants that. So. But you know, in a, in a sense, though, it's it is it is a it's it's kind of an elite little group of people working together for specific things that seem to be magical for a certain type of a wave. I know okay? that's the thing. Now it's a certain type of wave. The whole bottom line: when somebody says, uh, you know, can you make me a custom board? The first question is, where are you going to surf it? How do you want to surf? what do you what's your style what is what is what do you what do you want out of it and what are the conditions that you normally are going to be surfing it in the most just to try to get a fundamental basic like place to start yeah you know but you're also limited by their ability to communicate well you are that's you know, uh, it's bad like... people i've had people tell me you know when they walk up and say i surf like tommy curran exactly. or something you got a problem right so no matter what you make them, it's probably not going to work that good. Yeah. But um, so yeah, it's yeah. it's but within reason, it's it's a good way to kind of at least get 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 your mind. See, then I just try to imagine and then go into okay, what do I have that that I could try to offer, and that would be you know. <laughs> well, that's where I, that's why I think that your own personal surf experience would be hugely beneficial to your design uh, progress. Well, that's where people specialize. It's like, you know, um, like I don't put guns on the shelf. I don't, but I'll make them for specific friends. I was never a, 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 a big wave rider to, to anything close to today's standards, but in the old days you could ride some size and enough to really and and be into it, and you know. So I'll I'll do boards for 
friends. It's it's just you know people that and we're working together on a project to trust. Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. so we just learn together, and I just those are just those are kept over here, and then uh, stuff that but stuff I've put a lot of time into over the years through the longboarding resurgence um, has been. Uh, you know that everything from from a, a performance type single fin longboard that that's even you know we went through the tri fin era you know and all that the two plus one I still have to make some of those because some people really like them and, and everything but the logging things come back and that's what we grew up on seeing South Bay the cool thing was when you grow up three blocks at at the most away from all these factories there's when we were kids there were all these great boards laying around and so what we would do in the 70s was ride the logs that were laying in everybody's backyards when it blew out so we it always blew out at south bay it blows out by 10 o'clock you know Mm. 10 11 o'clock it's over you're sitting there looking at the stacks at the you know at the uh you know uh SoCal Edison, and and you see the, the little steam coming off, yeah, and you know you could just watch it by like nine it was almost vertical and by ten it was on shore, you know, most of the time. Yeah. So that was a that was our our way of keeping a track of what the hell is going on with the wind. But we would get out of the ride our you know our little pocket rockets and then. Um, yeah, we'd jump on the logs. So we were doing that, keeping that alive back yeah. then. We we had our little style sessions, and it was really cool. So where did you build your first board? Like, where did you shape your first surfboard? And well, in the, in the driveway okay. is usually where that's okay. <laughs> on a pair of sawhorses. You're like, okay, uh, I don't really have a pair of racks, but these will work. And it's a stripped-down board. Got it. So, yeah. And how old were you? Yeah, um... It was later. Well, the first board I really worked on I, in my bio isn't all the way correct because I was when I was a little kid I I stripped down a belly board and reworked that. Oh, you did. Yeah, I was trying to learn how to stand up on it. It was yeah. about a four, uh, three, uh, three and a half, three. It was almost a four foot long belly board. It was a little less, maybe it was like three, three foot eight or something, hmm. and. Uh, it had a pays. It had like a flowery bottom and a blue deck that was uh, opaque, and uh, had a flat deck and a foiled up bottom with a little area f- where you could try to put sort of a fin in the middle, right? And so the fin was busted off, and I I didn't know how to work with roving or cloth really. I remember the, and so I started working on that. And I was I don't know, I was like twelve, thirteen. And and but but really trying to strip down a real surfboard, you know, it was later, like mm-hmm. like you know, seventeen, eighteen, in there, and then just creating this project. I remember doing one and you stripped it down. You get so itchy doing that. Parents are, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. You just got pieces of torn fiberglass everywhere. It's sharp as hell. There's just pieces of shards flying. You're tearing the stuff off. It's friggin' everywhere making the huge mess what the hell are you doing yeah. in the driveway i'm making uh, i'm going to reshape this are you going to clean that up no it's like and then sweeping it up and then you know anything within like 20 yards of that you're just itchier than hell it's impossible it's to clean a, up yeah. yeah so but 
I remember the first one I tried to work on, I just ended up shaping it down, shaping it down, shaping it down. I didn't like it, didn't like it. Just ended up snapping it into pieces and throwing it all away. Okay. It was done. The whole thing was ending up in the trash. Wow. I didn't like it, and I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so then later, when I was like 19, finally, I kept, you know, I didn't want to ride anything I made. I rode Bendixson's boards and Phil Becker and uh, a guy named Redman. Who, uh, who was one of the great guys in my life that came up through the South. He, 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 his name was Bob Manville, but Red Man, he was a legendary guy. And uh, he's not with us anymore, but he was really one of the true characters again. And, and I'll say this, surfing and, and surfboard building both have some of the greatest characters on this planet. Totally. It is so cool. And I feel really fortunate to have been able to meet most of them, really, in my life, yeah. and and the one and be able to have learned from these people. Yeah. Uh, um. In. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's a funny world of of just there's humor, there's everything from. In the surfboard world, there was everything from hardcore drinking, partying, drugs, high-intensity surfing and, you know, getting slammed and breaking boards and putting them back together and just talking about how stoked you are and what you're trying to do. And everything when I was growing up was style and trying to ride the tube and then off the tops and roller coasters and cut roundhouse cutbacks. That was kind of... Nowadays, those aren't even maneuvers technically, right? right? Yeah, but they're just connecting. They're maneuvers. just yeah. So, but compared to being on a log, that was big action back then. Yeah, and so that's where the style was so important um, back then because if you had a more stable board that that did all that stuff, then you could you had something you got a platform to work on your style right which has to some degree been lost because the moves are so incredible that the, the contortions of the body to pull them off have had to adapt to that Absolutely. which is in itself i think really incredible and i have i love i love seeing how where surfing's gone i don't i'm not one of those older guys that's all down on it at all i think it's just it amazes me and how it, how closely do you pay attention are you watching the wsl events i do watch some of them i don't watch all of them because i don't have time you know yeah. it's like I've, I've got my own problems in life trying to keep the wheels on the track yeah and but i do watch some of the stuff i really enjoy it and i'm glad that i know that there's politics and all that bullshit and everything i don't care yeah. i'm only looking at what I see in the water to surfing now, you know, and I see it there too because I get to surf some pretty nice places with high-end surfers, and I just love watching them surf. It's, it just makes me feel like all of those dreams about what could happen mm-hmm. with design and surfing ability and capability and just that open-mindedness that. More was that what we thought could be possible has it's gone 
five times farther oh, yeah. than that, which is totally. really totally amazing. And I think people will never understand how dangerous these moves are these guys are doing, these guys and girls. They're all doing, when you commit to a lot of the maneuvers they do to come down on top of a board like that in some of the critical juicy places they do it on yeah. a wave, to me, is like, really? That takes some balls. I that agree. takes some guts. Because you can get really hurt. And, and you get watered up. And and so I think that that people have a tremendous amount of guts to go for a lot of these moves they're doing in yeah. the places they're doing them on the wave and in the kind of surf they're doing it in. It's just mind-boggling to I me. I totally agree. And I think that the surfers are better athletes now than they've ever been. Like they train harder and they prepare their body more for some of the impact that you're talking about. Well, yeah. And endurance wise in terms of their diet and stretching. Let's go there for a second. So here's what's (laughs) funny. All right. (laughs) You know, when we were, our deal was, okay, it went from the sixties of hell rate. Those guys, the Lance Carson's and the, you know, who I love Lance so much. He's when I think about, Malibu, everybody thinks about Dora, and I do too, because Dora was, well, he was the man. For me, Lance Carson was the man more than anybody, for me. Yeah. Because Lance is is and represents a man's man to every extent of the height, of the top level of it being what it is, okay? He, not only was, it, the, the, He's the whole, he's the real deal all the way around. Okay. Okay. Like, nobody fucks with Lance, you know what I mean? He's he's going to deal with it. You got and, any stories and not you want to share? That, well, no, not, not really, <laughs> but um, I could, but not necessary. What matters is this, is that he was, he just, he had a very long-lasting time there. And, and he kept going, and man, even when he was in his 40s and in his 50s, that guy was a standout guy at the top level of understanding true longboarding and style and, and, and just laying it down in front of everybody and just... Are you talking about at Malibu specifically? Yeah, I'm talking about at First Point Malibu. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. he owned the place. Okay, so there and there were others too, but I, I'm just saying for me, yeah, he's my guy. Totally. Okay, I know that you've been experimenting with asymmetrical design, mm-hmm. and it's kind of been an ongoing conversation on this podcast. I've had Carl Ekstrom mm-hmm. on, Donnie Brink from San Clemente, Matt Parker who does album. Mm-hmm. surfboards so we've had this kind of ongoing conversation and everybody kind of design or discusses asymmetrical design differently what was your first introduction to it and what about it appeals to you from what well, i've been watching carl ekstrom's stuff for my whole life okay he's he's like always been one of the premier guys i would call i would i've tried to do stuff like his his philosophy is low production high quality or low production um heavily thought out stuff right very low production (laughs) yeah so you know but carl like 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really. Uh, then you know, we saw them in the seventies. The uh, my friend Jeff Widener used to shape these ones back in the day for Jacob Surfboards, and uh, you know, they they've been around a long time. But but I think um, there's a big difference between just changing the template versus changing the flow of the foil from one side to the other and the bottom contours and the rail the rails and how they work with it all and and the whole you know there's there's so Carl you know Carl takes it he he's the king and we're all just kind of walking around going okay thank you for helping us open our minds and now that you've now that you've now that you've messed us all up, let's see. Let's uh, let's see what we can do with this. Now, I love the, you know, and well, I love Carl, man. Yeah, I do he's, too. He's a bitchin'est guy ever. And but what you're, I think that the novice, like <laughs> let's just say a surfer who's walking down the beach, yeah. who's used to riding high performance shortboards, they see the asymmet- asymmetrical um, outline. Right. That already confuses them enough, and there's. When you mentioned about bottom contour and rails, there's so many variables that it's hard for that novice to really even grasp. Yeah, well, you know, here's let me try to straighten some things out. Now, I don't know how other people feel about it. They may not like what I'm going to say right now. That I don't care about because um, uh, this is just from the heart. and from just being around surfing my whole life, they're not better than anything else. That has nothing to do with it. You know, this is a... Uh, going to let that plane go by. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what it boils down to is this. Modern day surfing and the ultimate of ripping a wave and tearing it apart. I mean, it, it's not necessarily going to make a a real difference in anything like that. It's not really like that. These are alternative ideas and designs. They might, for a certain person and the way they surf, give them something that, um, I guess, I guess this is how I look at it. Works very well for them. You could also get on a regular board and it feels better or the same or whatever. It depends. So really, I mean, I don't think it's, it's, uh, when I get on the ones I've made and I write them, it, this is the weirdest thing. They don't feel asymmetrical at all to me. They feel like a surfboard, okay? That's the that's the really... That's when I found out how much I didn't know. The reason I'm fascinated with it is because... And I called Carl to tell him. I go, Carl, they, uh, you know, can you explain to me why it's not feeling... I don't... It They just... it. They surf really well. I mean, for what I'm trying to get out of the board for for what I'm doing, but you know, it it just it 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 was like, but they don't feel like there's anything asymmetrical at all. Now I'll tell you what I really learned about was fin placement. Um, how much I didn't know about that, and thought I knew quite a bit about it because I've been into fins my whole life. I've been making fins. I worked with Chuck at True Ames. We've been working together for 25 years building fins together, you know, off and on. Now, you know, he makes, I just, I just tinker around with ideas and mess around with them. And then he helps me dial them in. But, 
um, and and produce something really nice. I mean, the stuff I can do them, but it's too hard for me. You know, yeah. he's just better at it. Everything he does there, of those guys, Will and those guys, they're just they're doing insane stuff. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our beloved realwatersports.com is your trusted retail resource for surfboards and anything that you need for surfing. And by the way, the anything you need stuff is all 15% off with a surfboard purchase. So their board loft actually houses 1,500 surfboards. So they have a huge inventory of many of the brands that we actually have discussed, surfboard shapers that we have interviewed here on the podcast. John Pizel, Ipa, Pat Rawson, Chris Christensen, Ricky Carroll, Roger Hines, Maurice Cole, the list goes on and on and on. So whatever you're looking for, they probably have multiple versions of it in your appropriate size, but better than that, they have surfboard review videos to help you find exactly what you need and a super helpful, knowledgeable staff, very focused on customer service, which is rare nowadays. And then once you decide which surfboard you want, they can ship it to you anywhere in the world for one low flat fee, which is crazy. And then, like I said, 15% off all accessories. That discount is automatically applied in your shopping cart. You just have to make a surfboard purchase in order to get the 15% off all the accessories. So we love them. They're great partners and supporters of our work. So consider them for any of your next surf purchases. Realwatersports.com. Wayne's introduction to asymmetry came when he received an invitation to compete in the 2011 boardroom show Icons of Phone Shaping Competition, which was honoring Carl Ekstrom. Ekstrom tasked the six shapers to design an asymmetrical board and provide an explanation for why each design decision was made. Wayne competed against Matt Biolis, Daniel Thompson, Ryan Birch, Tim Bissell, and George Gall. The nine months of lead time required Wayne to begin to analyze aspects of board design in a way that he hadn't since he was first introduced to surfboard building. I was flipping out. I wasn't even going to... I probably never would have built an ASIM. I don't know. 
I got invited by Carl to shape in his shape off. Okay. And so I knew I was in, I think it was six or nine months before. It might have been nine months. It was it was a pretty early notice. I was kind of freaking out. And then, you know, going up against Daniel Thompson, Ryan Birch, George Gall, and Matt Biolos, and uh, let's see, uh, and, and then Tim Tim Bissell, who's an incredible artistical guy. You know, I'm like, I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, there's no way. I mean, what? Those guys are, you know, they're they're into this thing. So I had to actually build a working model. But but this, what happened was I had months went by and I had three or four blanks in my house right over there, leaned up with, you know, drawings on them and everything else. And I just couldn't, I didn't like any of it. I didn't like it because it didn't have a an actual, I couldn't get the purpose figured out for what I was doing, which right. is when you go back to the original thing with Bendixson. Why do you put what where? Well, that's what design and shape is. If you don't know what the fuck you're doing, you shouldn't even do it. Right? You should know the end goal before you... So, yeah. It it, it comes down to um, to if you're going to try to come up with with something like this. Now, Carl had a really different format. He wanted a five-minute thesis on the design to explain what you'd done and why. And he didn't want us doing anything that had already been done. So I got down to the end. Hanky Warner, one of my best friends, um, I call him. I'm freaking. I got like a month. I'm down to a month or like five weeks. And somewhere in there, and I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to make. I don't know what to do. I mean, what am I going to do? And, and Hanky goes, well, don't get in their box. You know, don't don't get in that little five foot box that they're in the five foot board range. You know, and I was like, yeah, I can't ride one. I got to make something I can I can go out and ride in some surf that we've got here right now. And so, and he was saying, well, maybe you should just do something a little longer, like an eight six or. Something. And I'm just going, no, man, I can't, I can't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do. That. So I call Roper, Joe Roper, another just one of my best friends I look up to. I'm tripping. Joe, I'm freaking out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What What should I do? I've got all these. I, can I send you some pictures of what I've... He goes, hey, I got it. I got it. I got it. Just stop. Relax. Relax. You know, he, I go, okay. What? He goes, okay. I got it. On your front side, make a little, like a little, little short wide point forward pintail minigun little barrel rider for the points you like up there. It's a real hollow little something that works in there. And then just do like an 80s quad on the back side with, a, with just an oak, like just put a radical wing on it or something, right? And it was like literally the friggin' bell went off mm. in my head. It was just like, boom. And I went, okay, okay, I can, I can, I can see that. I actually could visualize it, right? So then I start messing around with it. I made a little cardboard template, you know, everything, and I'm playing around with it and looking at it. And then what am I going to do with the bottom contours? I'm going to do this. I increased the... I, I did... What I decided to do was offset the stringer two inches 
over to hit the pintail, right? So I decided, you know, in theory, I had always thought you don't need a true center line on a surfboard because a true center line doesn't make any sense because the water is never really running. It's, it's always moving in different directions. You're taking off. It's a diagonal thing. You've got all these things, these, these forces, and, and you're always moving rail to rail. Directional changes constantly. So I want to make a case that we don't have to have a true center line. You can have an offset center line. So I did that, and then um, I did a tapered stringer from, uh, I think, 3 sixteenths at the nose to a, almost a little less than a sixteenth at the tail, something like that. So tapered stringer to get, don't want any flex in the front of the board, would like to have a little bit in the back, um, if you're going to have any. Kind of like you know, the San Diego guys and the fish type thing. So then double barrel, you know, I kind of did these little double barrel concaves, but I put the bigger double barrel into the, into the, um, on the backside part, you know, where the, where the backside, you know, or the backhand. So it's kind of like, it's got, it's got a four times deeper concave on that side. And what's interesting is when you turn the board on the front side, I never realized how much how much actual action is going on on the opposite side of the board. Mm. The water is flowing over at full speed. So there's been a whole bunch of interesting things we've learned of this. But anyway, the other thing I tried to do was sort of pinch the concave right at right where your back foot is over the forward fins. I tried to pinch it into sort of a Venturi-type shape a little bit where I could, you know, where it would kind of like push the water in and then and then release it behind your back foot a little more hmm. and so that was that was kind of in the in the little design thesis and then the rails were a little boxier on the on the back side and then they were a little more pinched on the front side for the barrel right anyway i made a model wrote it and and i completely ended up digging the board and then hmm. i went into building fins for the board which is a whole nother nightmare of of insanity yeah so i started making all these fins and and doing all this stuff and 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 uh um ended up that's been an an ongoing evolution i'm still not sure what the hell's going on there yeah i figured out though that i had way too much fin in the beginning on the lead fins because i made these kind of interesting little cutaway dog ear things that kind of came back and and they it worked well board was fun i had enough but what i what i was able to do is i had enough um positive feedback well i I just had enough of an idea of what was going on with the board to compare it to my other short boards at the time that i could actually have some idea of 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 the validity of any of the design of any of any at any level right to have something because i felt like i can't go in and make a board if I don't have that. And so that was kind of how I did it. And I didn't really expect to win the thing. I went down there. I just wanted to be able to come up with something respectable that was a little different that, that would 
stoke Carl out and that, that he and and Stan Pliskunas who was there with Carl to do the judging and Rusty but you know Stan's an old friend of mine too and I you know it, it's like when you get asked to do those things it's really to represent Carl right I was going down there to show Carl how much I love and respect him as a man and as a designer and a bright mind in this world and Stan too as well because those guys are very much alike in that and then Rusty as well like you know to you know I've looked up to him for I've known a long time and and you know my whole career and just to be able to all you're trying to do is just is just show up and 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 make something cool and you know what everybody did that mm. every single person did that yeah. and it was really cool there wasn't anything alike any of the boards they were all 100% different and it, I learned so much by looking at everybody else's boards sure and um it was it was a great experience it was one of the funnest things ever it was actually the funnest of all of those things was it? the other ones are really stressful it wasn't stressful for me cuz i didn't go in there um it, it was it yeah it was just uh it was more the wanting to stoke out Carl and and the and the people it was yeah. it was more f- like that but US blanks made me up this killer blank I asked him for it was really bitching I called and talked to Jeff I go hey is this going to be a problem I want to do this and this I mean it's this. and he was like he was really cool about it he goes no we can we can glue you up whatever you want so I glued up kind of an interesting wedged stringer with wedged foam too which kind of gave a different effect to the board too so yeah you know i think some of that might have swayed it a little bit or whatever but we see uh surfboard shapers designs and design ideas and theories evolve and i think more than evolve they get refined over time you know um but at the same time, there's hydrodynamic principles mm-hmm. that never change, you know? So <laughs> in one sense, uh, principle stays the same, but design ideas we see go through these evolutions that are always kind of changing. You want my take on that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the stuff you see out there, and this isn't, this is just, again, from the heart. I think some of it, there's not enough velocity that we're up against on a wave to tell a whole lot of difference with some of it. So it becomes just cool looking and different and artsy. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't have validity. It's just that, but some of the, some of the more basic stuff, see, because usually it's, it's, uh, um, let's use uh, Tomo. Daniel's stuff as an example he now see when he does those little micro concaves he does and stuff like that I think that stuff's really got a a pretty serious purpose okay Um, those kind of things that I think that's the kind of stuff that that is functional that has 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 merit you know there are these are those but when when it's just a if it's like i say again uh interesting template break yeah you you know you're creating a different place to apex the 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 push on the board and turn it off of the apex of the corner of the board or wherever the part of the board that's in the water and then again your fin setup 
is just as important as all the other stuff. Absolutely. So if you don't have the right fin set up, you can throw it out the window too. Right. So it it's really it comes down to yes, the dynamics of Bernoulli's principle are always in effect. You know, it's like that's all, you know, pressure and difference of pressure and and all that kind of stuff is very very important. But exactly how to harness that stuff and figure out how to apply it is is very it's 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 <laughs> it's it's a lot of trial and error that's where it does help to be getting on the boards constantly and trying one thing to another exactly. with subtle changes now subtle exactly. then that's where i think really um most of the most of the best boards the most magical boards in a lot of ways have a lot of simplicity to them to some extent now that's an interesting word because they might look real simple but just to get a proper and a really a magic rocker in a board or a magic amount of foil in a specific area of a surfboard for a type of purpose of a type of surfing for a type of wave that you're riding that's not easy to do no that's you know well, that's why i was saying <laughs> it's much more refinement than it is evolution yeah it is you know? it is so so when when really at high, at the highest level of of what people are doing nowadays um you know just taking taking foil out of an area of a board of a 16th to an eighth of an inch for somebody really good could make the difference of of a board being a dog or being yeah. magic, right? Sure. And that area that it's being removed is in a 16 to 18 inch zone. Right. Right. On December 4th, 2007, during a particularly large swell, Wayne was surfing near his home just north of Rincon. It was double overhead, super hollow and heavy. Wayne took off on a second wave of the day and pulled into a throaty right-handed tube. It closed out, and Wayne ended up getting violently thrashed underwater. In the melee, he felt his neck crack and his body go numb. Temporarily paralyzed, he was dragged into the bay, completely at the mercy of the next ten waves. He eventually was able to regain some semblance of composure and through the grace of the ocean was washed ashore. He knew it was a close call, but he didn't know how serious his injury was until three months later. During that time, he dealt with tremendous bouts of pain and numbness and his muscles noticeably atrophied. After visiting a neurologist and getting an MRI, Wayne learned that he needed a spinal fusion. I, of course, was curious to know how that injury affected not only Wayne's surf lifestyle, but also how it informed and influenced him as a shaper. Got hurt, needed help, and had a bunch of people in the surfing community, my friends and everybody and family come together and help me financially, and they had two fundraisers, and just to, you know, when you spend your life paying it forward to certain things, um, you know, and you just, I used to be really, really jaded about how, about some of that stuff, and, and uh, um, you know, to the point of, of being sometimes pretty negative, which is, is not the way to be, but this is, this is years back, and, and just, because um, the work is so hard, 
what we do. It's it's uh, you know really what you're what you're getting paid in is is people is is relationships with people and how and how awesome people are and when we're what I realized that through that was if I would have died right then um, how important it was and how lucky I was to have had all these great relationships with people building surfboards or work making things just making things mm-hmm. fabricating things right been doing that all my life that's all I've ever done is make things for people whether it be woodworking boat building mm-hmm. you know fine woodworking all that kind of stuff that was my original background so and then also working on I was supposed to be a mechanic working on jet aircraft or working on high-end cars and stuff like that you know and even potentially um, race cars with a friend but I never ended up going that I kind of got pulled in so many directions but when I went into that with the accident um, yeah coming back into I'm just okay you're kind of starting over and and luckily Javier Romero great friend through Wooly Bear Wooly Bear really helped me out Mike Ortega get hooked up with Javier and he he got me in contact with Jay Herman and another friend of mine Kevin English who was a uh, doctor helped me out too in a huge way to to get the right Jay Herman he's a neurosurgeon he did the surgery and and you know you don't know what you're going to get to do afterward right and uh, my neck you know is it was close I could have been it was very close to being paralyzed from the neck down so um, I had a bunch of debris up against my my spinal cord it was actually impinging it pushing it into an angle so Anyhow, that all those people coming together and doing that for me and the showing of love was so incredible that it it changed me forever. Hmm. Like as far as appreciation of just the most simple things in life. So now I remember when I walked down with Alicia to to at the time to the water and I walked she walked me down to to feel the water in my against my toes and my feet here locally and just to feel that again and I'd been away from it for at the time about six months um, it was it made me just pour tears out because it just felt so good just to feel that feeling of that cold water on my feet mm-hmm. I'm just the this is the ocean see it's that ocean connection man that's what it is. It's 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 yeah. like it's like when my mom put me through that wave yeah. or whatever. You just it's that feeling of that water and that that it makes you it, it fixes like so many things in your mind. It's it's so friggin' amazing. It's like wow. Okay, and then you know, am I gonna get to do this again? I don't know that yet. I'm not sure, but all I know is this feels really good, and I'm, I can hardly wait to just lay on a surfboard in the water. I don't care, and just look around and smell all the right. smells, and right. watch the sun going over the other side of the point or whatever, and just kind of just look around at the beautiful colors. And that was it. And it was like. Um, from here and from then I've been fortunate enough to have you know I'm kind of a a little bit of a hard nose on I'm a stubborn person Uh, I I wanted to go back and I ended up getting well enough within a couple of years three years in I was back at the same place where I got hurt wow and it 
on a pretty good sized day and I and I I was able to face that and challenge it again and 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 it it you know it was it's just uh it's such a blessing um my favorite or my heroes are the Jesse Bill hours of the world right sure. um whenever i see Jesse i just come up to him and she, hug him and i can't help it but i cry you know i cry because uh why why am i allowed and he isn't it it is really it's unfair to me i don't know it's it's really hard for me to understand all that stuff that's not for us to understand that's for god that's god's will i don't you know and i've been really watched over and have don't know why i deserve that yeah okay so it's confusing at times and and stuff like that but now it's i guess in in general what i've realized is is that i can be happy with a lot less than i used to be i'm still competitive i've always been competitive about everything i've ever done but less now i'm trying to get i'm getting i'm almost 60 years old coming up you know pretty soon so it's like hmm i can slow it down a little bit but there's there's just certain things in a personality that are hard to change. Of course. You know, I'm an, a very obsessive person. I've yeah. been in a room for, you know, by myself working for, you know, 35 years or more. Well, so what is your surf experience like now? How often do you surf and all that? Well, I try to surf, you know, I try to, I'd love to be able to surf two times a week, you know, for four, four hours, you know, that would be my... You know, that's that that way you can kind of stay in touch with what's going on and, you know, stay out for a minimum of three hours. That's always been my three to four hour thing. I'm hurting now. By the time I'm into an hour and a half, that's the good part. And then I'm falling off physically. So you got to watch out. You, You don't you just have to understand that. You know, if your if your reactions are slowing down, you know you have to oh, yeah. adjust what you're doing, and and if it depends on where you're surfing and stuff too. But and if you're what if you're riding a little board or bigger board, bigger board's more forgiving, easier, more fun. You know, it's just a little more. It's not as it's not as heavy as being in a critical situation. Yeah. But but it really, um, yeah, just understanding your limitations, I guess, more and not throwing them out the window like I used to. Right. And, and you know, when, when you're fearless 100%, um, and that's the way I've been all of my life until the accident. Then after that, I couldn't do that because I, I owe it to the people who've helped me. I owe it to, right. you know, and I have to respect what's happened to me. And, you know, when I sent these pictures to Javier Romero and Jay Herman, these pictures of me surfing, they were ready to kick my ass. Really? Oh, they were like, really? Right. Like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Yeah. I was like, what? And they're like, don't what? Me. Yeah. Like yeah. you're being irresponsible with their work at this that point. That was kind of what... It, and then I explained to Jay and, and Javi what I was doing. I said, look, I'm training for this. I'm training and I'm only doing this and I'm only taking things that I pre- feel... That I feel like, you know, like in surfing, it's 100% or nothing. I don't know about that 110% because if you got 100%, you can't really, I don't know if you can put any more than that. <laughs> but if you could, let's just say you're going to peg the ceiling at 100%. Peg the needle. 
you take off on any wave in surfing, you should peg the needle every time you're doing it. If you intend to take a wave, you always have to do that, and you believe you can make anything. That's just the way you have to approach the ocean. Yeah. You yeah. don't ever think you're ever going to fall or get hurt or nothing. You right. don't. You don't even think about that. And I never do. I just. But I do respect it. And and if I, now in a split second situation when something goes wrong, you should know how to how to fall, how to cover it. All that's based on martial arts. So, you know, when you spend your life doing that too, it really helps. So that's helped me survive. You yeah. know, that's helped me a lot. Uh, um. I'm curious, do you ride other people's surfboards? Sometimes. Um, you know, I, not a lot, but I do love to do that because it's fun to get out of your mind. And That's it's, what I would it's think. Very, it's very, it kind of, it can break you out of tunnel vision sometimes, right. things like that. Um, you know, I do, I do. And, it, and it's, uh, I don't care what it is. You give me a surfboard, if there's waves, I just want to surf, okay? I don't, I, I'm not too hung up on, if the board's working good, I don't care who shaped it. Of course. I just want to ride the damn thing. <laughs> Let me ask you this then. Um, you've worked and been around a lot of iconic, important board builders. Yeah. Who is somebody that you would love to have a board shaped from or would have loved to have had a board shaped from that you've never Oh, had wow. That's really good. I'll tell you what. Um, I, I'm going to name a few guys. I'd like to have... You only get one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Give me a few. <laughs> Yeah, I can't do just one. I don't know. Um, it just, you know, if it was a, uh, if I could go back and get a single fin, custom-shaped diff, get a Mike Diffender for Billy Caster, way back in the day, I'll tell you what I would like is, is, you know, a real, one of those weird Michael Peterson boards that he made back at the end of his in his greatest era that would be really cool to have something like that i'd love to have a mark richards twin fin about a 19 like around 1980 Mm -hmm. you know type twin fin if it was going to be a twin fin um i would i would really love to have uh be nice to have a yater spoon Mm. you know a big one sort of a bigger one like a a nine eight or a nine nine something in there that'd be cool you don't have, have a yater spoon i don't have a yater spoon i, would I think, should i, I would know. think that'd be a yeah, i worked so you. close with them for so long it's funny i was i used to walk in there this is the funniest thing with rennie i'd walk in and go because i was shaping in his son's room at clyde Beatty's factory and and well it was rennie's originally and you know i'd walk in and go rennie i want a board and he goes no why? Why do you want me to shape you? Just make yourself one. I'm like, Rennie, come on. I want one of your boards. He'd like smile and he just looks at me and he's like, okay, well, I don't know. Just make yourself one. You know what to do. Just go make your own. So it was like, you know, but I I really should, I should hit him up. You know, yeah, it would man. be neat. I've, I've uh, of course, you know, everybody's going to say brewer and stuff like that. Sure, I'd love to have a nice nice yeah. older now i'm talking like i would like i like the boards that were happening in the mid 70s mid to later 70s um with with i like wing round pins i make them a lot myself i call mine a sniper but you know that's that's just a there's something um romantic about when you look at them and they they're just style surfing boards they're not uh, 
you know, they're just, uh, they fit well into what I can do now on the wave, which isn't, okay. isn't, isn't anything spectacular, but can, you know, they do, they do ride the pocket well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, old type off the tops and, and yeah. old style cutbacks, roundhousey stuff, and uh, all those old terms that we don't know what they are anymore, you know. Off the lip, roller coaster, let's see, what did we used to climb and drop? Bottom turns, they bottom turn nice. I think the bottom turns really one of the wonderful feelings in surfing. I've I always agree. loved it, you know. So, yeah, but, yeah, guys, I don't know, you know, there's so many good guys. I'd love to have Ekstrom make me, Carl make me a, a some kind of an insane asymmetrical. That would be cool to see what, you know, like throw some ideas around together and have, that would be really fun. Yeah. That would be cool. Um, you know, I if I was a big wave surfer and I could really surf big waves, I'd want to have Pat Ross and make me a boy. I would love to be able to sit down with Pat and uh and and do something because i've always really just dug him as a person and respect him as an individual as well as a surfboard shaper i mean yeah. he's just he's a he's 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 good people um you know let's see bouncing around uh you know, it's always hard i'm so close to all these people I, you know yeah which is why i think you can get boards from them <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah they you know, we're all, it's funny, you know, that whole thing. But, yeah, from back in the day, you know, I've always thought that Billy Castor's stuff was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was some pretty amazing stuff going on down there. And, and Diff, of course, he's Mike Diffenderfer. Um, I don't know. He's kind of the, uh, in the early... With when boards became modern and, and brewers right there too, but di they're very different boards. I like brew, uh, Diff's rail. The he was really getting rid of the the meat out of the rail, you know, and it's it just pretty contemporary. How about going back into? It would be cool to have a Bob Simmons. Oh yeah. There's a board that that the Maestrels have. This twin fin that Bob Simmons made for. Billy and Bob Maestrel. Yeah, it's a twin fin. It's 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 foam with balsa uh, veneer. Okay, like vacuum bagged around sure. it or whatever they you know, and then it's got fiberglass around it, and it's got this rail uplifted front rail that that rotates into a down rail, and and the the rail actually inverts at a like like three feet back from the nose from a from a flat deck to a down deck it's the coolest thing Weird. you've ever seen you want to talk about Design. innovative that and and yeah i mean just unbelievable it's like a freaking unreal board um final question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode recently the last one my my asymmetrical Tell me about it. What height, what size is it? What are the dimensions? Uh, that particular one is about seven zero. Okay. It's approximately three inches thick. It's about twenty and three quarter wide. Tail design, fin it's setup. It's a it's a it's a it's a wide point forward pintail mini gun on the front side. Like okay. I've been yeah. developing that board, that extra that yeah, I won the extra. Yeah. yeah. And um, it it is 
you know, the overall tail number is about, I want to say it's about 14 and 3 quarter or 15. It's, it's, it might be 15. I'd have to actually measure it because I made so many of them. This particular one, it's, it's, it's my favorite one right mm -hmm. now. It's got a little more overall rocker. They look pretty flat, but they're not as flat as they look. And then uh, um, it's, uh, you know, the nose is, is, is like maybe a half inch narrower than the tail, something like that. But it's, uh, it's, it's got the, you know, the, the sort of an 80s quad thing going with the, with the little bit of side cut in the wing. Okay. The wing's not as oversized as the one I did for the show. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very functional board. Yeah. And if I compare it to one of my seven-foot snipers that I ride, which is a round pin, a winged round pin, conventional, you know, either single or three-fin setup, tri-fin, um, the difference is that because of the tail width, I'm getting a lot more, a lot more speed and maneuverability off the tail but it still holds in just as good in a juicy way which is really the the main difference i'm feeling in the board that's basically it if you want to just wrap it up in a if you could call anything you ask me simple ever <laughs> it would be it just has the reason i ride it over my sniper which is a more conventional really cool board it just it just has more off the tail for a, okay. for a big board like that. So I ride, you know, that's it's it's a semi-gun style board for some size, and it you know it works pretty well. But okay. um, yeah, that was the last board. Awesome. It's an easier question than just like, hey, so what kind of boards are you riding now? I like to give a specific like, what was the last one? Yeah, before that? that was my Harmonic sixty seven nose rider. Okay, and and that was. That's those are the boards that um, had the the last few uh, yeah deals at Malibu. Nice. You know, since since the accident, I think the the biggest thing for all my friends and people that that have helped keep me going in all this have been there for me. They've they've been there through the times when I really was just exasperated and wanted to quit. But the the stuff that uh, you know. I think I've been blessed. God's blessed me with a lot of accomplishments since then. You know, the two the two wins oh, yeah. at the craft. The, I've had three wins at Malibu and the big MSA and the in the Call to the Wall, the the, the MSA Classic, and then um, I won the Log Jam up in Santa Cruz, in my age division, and and just just you know, it just was. It's just it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it really, it doesn't. It's just stuff that that it's it's easier to just relax and and just love love making these 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 traditional surfboards. Really getting into the you know the last well, it's been a long time. The last ten years, the last decade of really reexamining the true log type longboard single fin and 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 different different approaches with it the hot dog the nose riding ones the ones that kind of mix it up both ways it, yeah. it just there is so much still to be learned and i think that that is the, the drive behind it i feel like i really have a 
I have a hell of a lot more to learn. Yeah, <laughs> keeps you going. And yeah, it's uh, so it's never wake up a day feeling secure about what I understand or know yeah. about a surfboard. I don't, I don't, I don't know enough. I'd like to know a hell of a lot more. He's a one who likes all our pretty songs and likes to sing home and likes to shoot his gun. But don't know what it means. Don't know what it means to love someone. WayneRich.com is his website. And of course, our website is surfsplendorpodcast.com where you can see everything that we discussed. Also, Wayne referenced Carl Ekstrom as being an influence in his asymmetrical surfboards. Uh, I actually have an episode with Carl along with Tom Morey, all in one episode. And uh, that was episode number 76, released way back in 2015. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead and uh, dig it up in the archives. Episode number 76. So... Thank you, Wayne Rich, for sharing your story. Uh, It's wonderful to have for posterity. Thank you to you listeners and our partners for supporting this work. Of course, our sponsors who you heard throughout the show, uh, linkedin.com slash surf, waterwaystravel.com, and of course, realwatersports.com. And then, of course, you could set up direct support on surfsplendorpodcast.com. As a sign of my gratitude, I will continue to crank out the work weekly. Scott Bass and I did yesterday. We had a blast over on Spit, so go get that. And Chaz Smith and I will embark on a burrito eating contest on air tomorrow on The Grit. So you'll have to listen to that to find out why. And then I'll be back here on Surf Splendor next week with an episode with Drew Brophy. He's had a wild ride, a wild story, so much to discuss here with him. And until then, this is, of course, David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you, amidst all the busyness of life, to make sure that you get back into the water, share some waves, and, of course, shred on. Shred on.